0: Good morning. Merry Christmas. It's so good to see you. I just, I know, I know, I know. Every week I think I I shouldn't keep saying I love you every week, um, but I can't help myself. I do. I love you so very much. I cannot even begin to tell you how much I appreciate each and every one of you. And if you're a visitor here this morning, I love you too. Even if I've never met you, I love you and I am so incredibly thankful for you and I hope that you know If you didn't already know how much you are loved by the Lord and by the Lord's people, I'm guessing that most of us probably have or have had at one point a calendar in our house that sort of counts down uh, to Christmas Day. We I was gonna bring ours today. Ours is in a little pickup truck. We have this little wooden pickup truck at our house, and in the in the bed of the truck, it has two wooden blocks with numbers on it, and every day someone Usually, our youngest son, Noah, will turn the blocks to how many days left until Christmas. So chances are most of us have had, yes, have had or have a calendar like that that counts down to Christmas. The technical name of those calendars is an Advent calendar, right? Advent calendar. Now, I've I've always heard that, but I didn't really grow up using the word Advent. I, I didn't use that word. I've never really used Advent a whole lot. But... The more I think about that word, it's a really good word. In fact, we've used that several times in this series. Here's the definition of Advent. Advent is the coming or the arrival of any person or thing considered significant. And so when we talk about Advent, maybe we're counting down to the day of Christmas, or maybe we're thinking about counting down, waiting for the Advent or the coming, the arrival of Jesus, And as we've talked about in this series, we're we're thinking about the coming of Jesus in two senses. One, the, the first arrival of Jesus, the first coming of Jesus when he was born in Bethlehem, but also the second coming of Jesus, the second advent, the second arrival of Jesus, the one we're still waiting for and expecting. And one of the things with an advent calendar or a countdown calendar when we're counting down to something is The intention there, I think, is that it's supposed to help train us to live our lives that way, not just during December, but all year long, to live our lives in anticipation, waiting, expecting. But that can be difficult, can't it? That's why we have to train ourselves. We just sang the song, teach me, Lord, to wait. Teach me, Lord, to wait, because it's hard to wait, isn't it? It's incredibly difficult to wait. Every kid in here knows it's hard to wait. It's it's especially hard to wait for something that is way off in the future. So what is it that we do when we're waiting for something way off in the future that seems like it's never going to get here? What do we do to make that easier? Well, sometimes, unfortunately, we shift our anticipation. We shift our expectation. We shift what we're waiting for from something way in the distance to to something more immediate, don't we? Instead of expecting that thing, that that person, that idea, whatever it is that we were waiting for, we shift our anticipation, our expectation to something more immediate. So I want to ask you a question this morning. What are you waiting for? Now, usually when we ask that question, we're, we're asking it, rhetorically or sarcastically. We're saying you shouldn't be waiting. Hurry up. What are you waiting for? But I'm not asking this sarcastically or rhetorically. I really want you to reflect on your life. What are you waiting for? What is it that you're hoping for? What is it that you're anticipating or expecting? Because again, when it seems like the second coming of Jesus is so far in the distance. We shift our expectation and our anticipation, our waiting from Jesus to something that seems more immediate. So a lot of people, let's be honest, real let's be real honest this morning, a lot of us shift our expectation to, from that to things like the next election, right? And we're waiting for that. Or, or maybe something very personal. You're, you're not feeling well, and so you're anticipating or you're waiting to feel better, and, and that's what your hope is anchored to. Or maybe it's financial, and you shift your expectation and your anticipation to things that revolve around your finances. You can't wait until you get the promotion or till you get a different job. Maybe it's relational. Maybe you shift your expectation and your anticipation to something relational. You can't wait till you get into a better relationship or till you find Mr. Right or Mrs. Right. And you've shifted your your hope and your expectation to something that you, you think is immediate. Now, there's nothing necessarily wrong with wanting those immediate things. But as Christians, our ultimate hope, our ultimate waiting, our ultimate anticipation and expectation should be for the coming of Jesus. Sometimes we've even shifted our hope and our expectation to death, because sometimes death would seem like a a welcome comfort, as opposed to whatever it is that we're suffering with right now. But as Christians, our ultimate hope is not death. Our ultimate hope is the second coming of Jesus, that is what we're waiting for. That is what we're hoping for. That is what we're expecting. And we can look back to the people that we're waiting for and expecting, anticipating the first arrival of Jesus. And we can say, if they can wait for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years for the Messiah to come the first time, then you and I can wait. Even if, even if he doesn't come in our lifetime, we can anchor our hope and our expectation, our anticipation, our waiting to Jesus right now in our life and learn from them. So if you have your Bible, look at Luke chapter 2 and verse 21. Luke chapter 2 and verse 21. We're picking up right after Jesus was born. In fact, Luke says this, at the end of eight days, eight days after Jesus was born, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. Jesus means Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, that is, 40 days after Jesus' birth, so 40 days after the birth of Christ, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, this is interesting that... Everything that Luke is saying that Mary and Joseph did, it comes from Leviticus chapter 12, and they're describing the fact that Mary and Joseph are obeying the law. Jesus is circumcised, and then they go up to the temple to present him for the, before the Lord 40 days after his birth. But it's interesting, the law actually required this. The law required a lamb, a year old for a burnt offering, and a pigeon or a turtle dove. But the law made a concession and said, if she, that is if the mother, cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons. So what is it that Luke is once again pointing out about Mary and Joseph? They're poor, right? They're poor. They're very common people. And so over and over again in Luke's account, he has pointed out, he has, he has gone to great lengths to point out the fact that Mary and Joseph are poor, and they're faithful, and they're waiting, they're obedient, they do what the law requires them to do. Verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, here's our word, here's our word, waiting for the consolation or the comfort of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. A lot of commentators say that during this time period, people would pray, devout Jews would pray, may I see the consolation of Israel. I mean, think about that. This is their prayer. Their prayer is, Lord, let me live to see the consolation of Israel. Let me live to see Israel comforted by you. And what is it that they're waiting for? What is it that they're Anticipating, What are they expecting? They're expecting the Messiah to come. And when the Messiah comes, when the anointed king comes, the one that's been promised to them, then he will comfort God's people. And that's their prayer. That's their hope. That's their expectation. That's what they're waiting for. They're waiting for God to comfort his people through the coming of the Messiah. And I love that that way of thinking about the coming of the Messiah. And we should think about Jesus' second coming in the same terms, the comfort of God's people, the consolation of God's people. Sometimes when we think about the second coming of Jesus, we just think about judgment, don't we? We think about judgment and we think about punishment. But for those who are anticipating and waiting for Jesus, you don't have to think of it that way. For us, it's the same as Simeon prayed. It is the consolation of God's people. Yes, there, there, will, there will be people who are punished that are not ready for the second coming of the, of the king. But hopefully for us, that's not the case. And think about the suffering and the persecution, the pain, the oppression of God's people that they've endured for Generation after generation after generation, century after century after century, our brothers and sisters right now that are suffering persecution all over the world, this should be our hope and our expectation. But so often we're so short-sighted in what we're waiting for, aren't we? We're just waiting for the next election. We're just waiting to get a better job. We're just waiting for this. We're waiting for that. We're waiting for something immediate because we live in an immediate gratification kind of culture but we need to have this big picture view. And what we're waiting for, what we're hoping for, what we're expecting is the consolation of God's people, the comfort of God's people, for the end of oppression and persecution for God's people. That's what Simeon was waiting for. They they had been enduring persecution and oppression for generation after generation for hundreds of years. And they were praying, Lord, may I see the consolation of Israel. Verse 26, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came, Simeon came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said. Now, first of all, the Holy Spirit has been incredibly active in Luke's gospel account, hasn't he? The Holy Spirit has been incredibly active in Zechariah and in Elizabeth and in Mary and now in Simeon. And the Lord had told Simeon that he would not die until he saw the Lord's anointed king. And when he saw baby Jesus come into the temple, he knew that's the one, that's the one. The Holy Spirit indicated to him that's the one. And he took this baby in his arms. Can you imagine can you imagine the one you've been waiting for year after year? Simeon is an old man. and He's been waiting his life to see this child. And not just him, but there were so many people waiting for Jesus. And now, finally, the Lord has sent his anointed king. And he knows this baby. This is the one. This is the one around whom our entire lives have revolved the one in whom we have anchored all of our hopes and all of our expectations. He says this, verse 29, and this is like the fourth song of praise in Luke's account. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Over and over again throughout Luke's gospel account, these various people, Mary, Zechariah, the angels that are appearing to the shepherds, and now Simeon are praising God and saying this is what the Messiah is going to fulfill. And again, we have this tendency, don't we, when we think about Jesus and either the first arrival of Jesus or the second arrival of Jesus, and we just think about his coming and what it means for us personally, individually, And I'm sure Simeon, I mean, he has personal hopes and expectations too, doesn't he? But the coming of the Christ, it means that Israel is going to be glorified. It means that finally they are going to achieve their their destiny. And what is their destiny? To, To be the people through whom the Messiah comes. And the Messiah is coming not just to be a light for Israel, but to be a light for all the nations, to be a light for the Gentiles, to every tribe and every nation and people of every language. And Simeon can see that. He can see that this child is going to be the one who's going to bring light to the world so that now the people that walk in darkness, us, you and me, now we're going to see God. And now we're going to know God's will for our lives and it's this child who's going to bring that light into the world. I just thought it would be helpful if we went back for the sake of those that haven't been here or for the sake of all of us to go back and listen to some of the things that all four of these songs of praise have indicated about who Jesus is and what Jesus was going to do. So, here's the Messiah's mission according to Luke 1 and 2. The Messiah's mission according to Luke 1 and 2. Number 1, scatter the proud Number two, bring down the mighty. Exalt those of humble estate. Fill the hungry with good things. Send the rich away empty. Show God's tender mercy. Again, let me just stop there for a second. I'm only halfway through, but let's just stop there for a second. And again, reflect on the fact that these people, people that you probably wouldn't expect, Zechariah, Elizabeth, Mary, the shepherds, Simeon, they can see that Jesus is the one who is going to change the world. He's the one to attach your hope and your expectation to, the one to wait for. And we now have this revelation. So, We have to be even more aware of the fact that it is wrong and dangerous for us to shift our hope and our expectation away from Jesus, the one who has done, is doing, and will do these things to more immediate things. Stop putting your hope in tomorrow, in people, in the kingdoms of the world in temporary fixes to your problems. Stop putting your hope and expectation on things that only apply to you personally. Jesus wants to set everything right for everyone to bring ultimate righteousness and justice to the world. Attach your hope and your expectation to him. Next, deliver God's people from their enemies and from those who hate them. Allow God's people to serve him without fear. Give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. Guide our feet into the way of peace. Be a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Bring glory to Israel. Now again, if the way you think about Jesus doesn't fit with this paradigm, then you need to change the way you think about Jesus. If you think that the coming of Jesus is just so that you can have a little bit better life or so you can be happier or or so that you can just go to heaven when you die, then you need to really rethink what these songs say about the coming of the Messiah. That his coming is to change everything. Everything. His coming changes everything. And those who accept it Those who believe it, those who walk in this light, no longer have to live in the darkness. But how will Jesus accomplish this mission? How will the Messiah accomplish this mission? Verse 33, and his father, Joseph, and his mother marveled at what was said about him, marveled at Simeon's word. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that will be opposed or a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now this is sort of the first indication that we've gotten in Luke's gospel account. That wait, wait, Everything's been joyful and triumphant and happy so far, right? Everything has been exciting. The Messiah's here. He's going to change everything. And then Simeon takes Mary and speaks to Mary personally and says, but you need to understand that he's going to accomplish this mission through suffering. His, His coming is going to mean the rise and fall of many in Israel. Now, that could mean that... Some will rise and some will fall because of him. Certainly that's true. Or it could mean that many will fall, will fall, and then only then will they rise, sort of resurrection, because of him. And certainly that's true as well. But one way or the other, it's going to mean the fall of many. His coming is going to mean the fall of many. He's going to accomplish his mission, but it's going to require the fall of many. He says that he is a sign that is opposed. He is a sign from God. He is God with us, but he will be opposed. Now that's, that's a hard word for a mom, isn't it? A hard word for a mom. In fact, Simeon says, and and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. I mean, can you imagine what Mary had to see in her lifetime? On the one hand, the joy, the joy of knowing that she's the one who's brought God's Son into the world. The joy of knowing that he's going to change everything, that he's going to bring justice, that he's going to bring life, that he's going to guide people in the way of peace. But also knowing what he's going to endure and the way that he's going to bring this about and seeing that, seeing that played out right in front of her eyes. Can you imagine? seeing your son crucified? Even even if you knew this was the will of God and it's through this suffering that God is going to bring about victory, this sort of suffering would drive a sword through your very soul, wouldn't it? It would. Verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phunuel of the tribe of Asher, She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting, there's our word again, waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Again, Luke introduces us to another elderly person who had been Waiting, 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 and waiting, and waiting for for years, for decades, in the temple, waiting, and waiting, and waiting for the coming of the Messiah, praying for the coming of the Messiah, praying for God to redeem Jerusalem, for God to comfort his people, fasting, and praying, and because she's a a prophetess, I would assume she's also prophesying and telling people to wait for, expect, anticipate, God will keep his promises through all of the, the dark days. Can you imagine what people like Simeon and Anna saw in their life? The oppression that they saw, the pain that they saw, the number of people they saw crucified, and stoned the number of people they saw robbed by Roman taxes, all that they endured. And through all of that, people like Simeon and Anna were saying, put your hope in Yahweh. God will send his anointed one. He promised us, and God doesn't break his promises. But it would be hard, wouldn't it? Day after day week after week, month after month, year after year, generation after generation for hundreds of years to keep waiting for God to keep his promises? And then finally, Simeon and Anna, they see this baby and they say, see, God does keep his promises. God is going to bring about through him exactly what he has always said he would bring about. And and this is where we find ourselves, isn't it? We find ourselves... Waiting. And we need people like Simeon and Anna in our lives, don't we? People to remind us, keep waiting. I know it's hard. Keep waiting. Don't, don't shift your anticipation and your expectation to more immediate satisfactions. Keep waiting for the Lord. Keep hoping in the Lord because God will keep his promises. Jesus will come, and Jesus will set everything right. Expect him, anticipate him, wait for him. We need people in our lives to remind us and ask us, who are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? What are you hoping for? What are you anticipating? So I want to end today by saying prepare him room by reminding yourself and others that Jesus is worth the wait. Isn't he? Simeon knew he's worth the wait. Anna knew he was worth the wait. Mary knew he was worth the wait. But sometimes we forget Jesus is worth the wait. Jesus is worth the wait. He's worth waiting for. I, I know we've been waiting for a while, haven't we? We've all been waiting for our lifetime, waiting for Jesus to come again. But God said that's exactly what's going to happen. And he will set everything right. He will comfort his people. He will save his people. He will give his people life. He will resurrect his people to live forever, to live forever with him. And we're waiting for that. We're hoping for that. Oh, there are other things that are nice little consolations along the way, but our primary hope we're primarily waiting for, our ultimate expectation and anticipation is the second coming of Jesus. And he is worth waiting for. This week, after, after I prepared this lesson, I was scrolling through Facebook and I saw a post from one of my, my friends who's a preacher that I have a ton of respect for. And I, I had no idea. It hurts me that I didn't even know he had had such a rough year. But it had been an incredibly rough year for this preacher. And he posted on Facebook and he talked about this time of year. And he said, this year... Because of hardships and difficulties in my life, I have at times had some real emotional struggles, even to the point of suicidal thoughts. I've sought help, and I'm doing much better with them now. Still, there are times when I find myself longing for death, or at least for a different life. And he use that word, Advent. Advent has challenged me to redirect my longings. Longing for death or different circumstances, is very selfish. The point is just to escape the trials and difficulties that are causing me to suffer now. Instead of this, I have decided to long for Christ's return when I'm confronted with sadness or disappointment. In those moments, he says, I think of how the return of Christ will make right the wrongs that are causing me pain. That's my encouragement to us. When you go through dark days, difficult days, challenging days, remember that God keeps his promises. Remember that Jesus is coming again. And there may be better days that lie between here and there. There may be worse days that lie between here and there. But our ultimate hope is in Jesus. That's what we're surrendering ourselves to when we're baptized, isn't it? When we're baptized into Christ, we're saying, I will hope in you. We're trusting that Jesus will not only wash our sins away, but that when he comes again, he will raise us from the dead and that we will live with him forever because of what he has done for us. And we're saying, I will put my hope and expectation in you. I will wait for you. But we don't just do that when we're baptized. We do that every week when we break the bread and we share the cup. We do that every day that we get out of bed and put our feet on the floor we go through good days and bad days, easy days and challenging days, we remind ourselves we are waiting for Jesus and he is worth waiting for. If we can help you in any way this morning, now is a great opportunity to respond to the invitation as together we stand sing this song.